the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor of the See You at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. The CU men's basketball team has just concluded what will be, in hindsight, one of the best seasons in program history, behind one of the best players in CU history, McKinley Wright. The CU women's basketball team made it to the Elite Eight in the WNIT, and CU's Olympic sports from lacrosse to soccer to volleyball to tennis, continue to rack up victories over ranked opponents. But for the first time in two years, spring athletics also includes spring football. CU head coach Carl Durrell, who looks upon his coaching staff primarily as teachers, will get some teaching moments this April. Brad and I went through each unit of the offense with our last podcast, and we'll dive into the defense with this episode. Is the CU defensive line the shakiest lineup on the roster? Will transfers be able to step up at linebacker if Nate Landman doesn't return to all Pac-12 form? Will all of the starting experience of safety pay off this fall to complement what are looking to be CU's two lockdown corners? Let's find out. Okay, so we're back. Brad, how are you doing? Uh, very well here in Colorado. Well, uh, took a little spring bake time, got to visit the western slope of Colorado. It's as gorgeous as always. Now back at it, ready to grind into the spring. Well, no, we normally don't talk a lot about basketball, but I think we should at least give a tip of the see you at the game cap to the CU men's and, well, and the CU women's basketball teams both made it deep into the postseason. 23-9 and for the men's team. Third most wins in school history, which if they'd actually played a regular non-conference schedule, probably would have been the team with the most wins in school history. So have you gotten over the second round loss and put the world in perspective, or are you still thinking that Tad should be fired because he can't beat anybody in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Well, I, uh, you know, it is interesting to watch the Pac-12, which did not get the respect throughout the season, play very well in the tournament. I'm no way disappointed with CU, considering they were the five everybody picked to lose. Yes. The first round game was truly a joy to watch. Yes. This was, you know, second round for this team was an accomplishment and a well-coached accomplishment, and one that was exciting to watch. So, uh, no, this was as good a season as we've had. 
of course, with one of the greats for CU basketball leaving us now and going out on a high note with the Kenley Wright. Uh, very little to be said about this year in college basketball, in CU basketball. Yeah. And if you want to blame anybody but fans, you could blame me. I made a deal with the devil. I just said I wanted to get to the semifinals in the Pac-12 tournament and win one game in the NCAA tournament. Because really, we've been building for this for two full years now, you know, because last year, last year's team was going to make the tournament and, of course, lost in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. The very last sporting event in the country, basically, that late night, Wednesday night Pac-12 game, I think it, somebody told me that that was the last sporting event that actually got contested because everything got shut down the next morning. But was going to still be allowed to get into the tournament. We're going to at least get into the dance and all the naysayers about Tad, you know, can't one and four going into the, this year's tournament couldn't win in the NCAA. I just wanted to win that first game. I had no idea that the other four teams from the Pac-12 were going to make it to the sweet 16, which did kind of make it look unfortunate for the buffs, but still a great season one of the best seasons in CU history and one of the best players in CU history. And the CU women's team played the postseason for the first time in four years and made it to the elite eight of the WNIT and beat Nebraska along the way. So congratulations, J.R. Payne and the CU women's team. Unfortunately, the men's team and the women's team were both playing at the same time and both lost at the same time. So it was a, a down day for CU getting out of basketball season. But that means we are turning our full attention to football season with spring ball beginning. And we already posted a podcast talking about the CU offense. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the CU defense. And no place better than to start with the defensive line. Am I overstating it that other than the quarterback position, the defensive line is the roster area of deepest concern for the spring of 2021? I think it would not be overstating it to say that it is perhaps even more concerning than the quarterback position where we think we have at least a good knowledge of the floor. This is not an experienced crew. Uh, those who are experienced have not generally, with perhaps the exception of Terrence Lang, showed themselves to be high-quality Pac-12 players. People on this area need to step up. Now, the CU defense, at least last year, was not designed for the defensive linemen to get a lot of tackles. Their job was to keep people away from Carson Wells and Nate Landman. <laughs> um, so it's not just about the stats. It's about who you occupy and how you hold them up. But the inability for anybody except for Mustafa Johnson to get pressure on the quarterback was concerning. Um, they were slightly better against the run. And again, some of Landman's success has to be attributed to the people in front of him. But we need more out of this group of players to be a solid defense. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about the roster itself. Actually, a four juniors, which would be four seniors, you think that having four seniors on the defensive line roster would be uh, make it a strength. Terrence Lang, you mentioned, probably the best defensive lineman returning. John S. Jordan also is considered a returning starter. 
having started several games in 2020. Jeremiah Doss, Justin Jackson are all juniors slash would-be seniors. Sophomores, Jalen Sammy, Naeem Rodman, Austin Williams, redshirt freshmen, get to first make, make some impressions now, Jaden Simon and Lloyd Murray Jr., and then coming in for the 2021 class, Tyus Martin, Allen Bob, Ryan Williams, and a late transfer coming in would be Blaine Toll, um, who was most recently of, of Arkansas. You mentioned the loss of Mustafa Johnson. Of course, we have to, at least in passing, mention the fact that Antonio Alfano is in the transfer portal. Another five-star recruit for the University of Colorado who didn't pan out at the University of Colorado. We could have our own Mount Rushmore of five-star players that didn't play or didn't play well at the University of Colorado. So there is depth there, and there's some playing experience there. It's not like these guys have not been on the field. But like you say, other than Terrence Lang and Jalen Sammy and Janez Jordan, they have starting experience, but not super deep despite the numbers. 13 scholarship, well, yes, well, there will be 13 scholarship. Blaine Toll is not going to be here for spring ball, but he will be here this summer. So 12 defensive linemen running around this spring, you'd think that that would be plenty to come up with three or four, five or six that can be in a rotation that can play well. Well, one would certainly hope so. And um, you know, part of it will be finding how that rotation works, who can get the start. There were times that this group seemed a little pushed around. Again, the, the, obviously against Texas, the Utah decided, particularly in the second half, to just lean upon the defensive line, and they did not lean back well. Yeah. So this this group has to play better, essentially from start to finish. Again, Janez Jordan um, did start four games. You know, the final four games of the 2020 season. Um, but really didn't assert himself until the, the Alamo Bowl. Uh, he did play well in the bowl game, but he had all five tackles before we got to the bowl game. Um, had six tackles against Texas, so at least there was some film there saying this guy can play. Jalen Sammy started in those tackle first two games, but had all three tackles in 166 snaps during the regular season. Rodman, 48 plays, two tackles. Doss, 40 plays, one tackle. So there's a lot of potential there. Uh, you'd have to hope and pray and think, but Chris Wilson might have his work cut out for him in making the defensive line something that is not going to be considered a liability going forward for the University of Colorado. Fair or unfair? Totally fair. Okay. Um, and the, it is difficult to be a successful defense without a successful defensive line. This is true. And what defense he was going to play, it, there, there seems to be a lot of talk, you know, 3-4, three, 4-3, four, four, three, what they're going to play. I mean, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference what they officially put in the the game notes prior to the game or what the – and they're always putting 12 players on the starting roster anyway with the nickel back and things like that. So 
there seems to be a lot of discussion about whether or not C is going to be a 3-4 or 4-3, but I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference. There's going to be a lot of different formations based upon the offenses we're going against. But let's move on to the linebackers. Of course, we know that Nate Landman is not going to be available for the spring. He has posted on social media positive developments in terms of his rehab that he might be on the path towards being available by September or for September to play a full season, but that still remains an unknown. But more attention is now being paid to Carson Wells, who actually, if it wasn't for Nate Landman, would have been considered one of the best players in the Pac-12. He did get Pac-12 recognition, but nothing compared to what you're getting in terms of production from, from Nate Landman. Let me do the roster real quick for you, and then you can tell me what you think. Outside linebackers, juniors, slash would-be seniors, Carson Wells, Guy Thomas, your two returning starters. Then there's Jamar Montgomery, and you've got the transfer, Robert Barnes, coming in from Oklahoma. Redshirt freshman, Joshka Gustav. True freshman, Alvin Williams, Devin Grant, and then 2021 signee Zion Magale. Inside, of course, you got the super senior, Nate Landman, the juniors, John Van Deest, Quinn Perry, Chase Newman, sophomores, Ray Robinson, another transfer from uh, Notre Dame, Jack Lamb. Name to keep in mind, you know, it gets lost in coming some of the volume here, but Marvin Ham, Redshirt Freshman, and Mr. Williams. And there is a 2021 signee, Zephaniah Maya, who will actually be participating in the spring. So technically we've got eight outside linebackers and nine inside linebackers. Of all those names I just ran through, what stands out to you? Well, I mean, Carson Wells is a guy who's going to play on Sundays if he stays healthy. He has every tool necessary, and I, I've spoken well of him before. And he seems to have, I thought last year, um, upped his intensity. Uh, felt that he, I don't know if that was coaching, if he was trying to match Landman, but he truly stepped up. I'm very fascinated to see how Jack Lamb fits in here. He was somebody who looked like he was going to succeed at Notre Dame and then got injured. He was highly sought after in the transfer portal. If he can step in and face some security at that inside spot while we see what's going to happen with Landman, this really feels like a sorting process, doesn't it? Like yeah. we have a lot of kind of the same guy, and spring practice is going to be who can step up from being you know a solid backup to the to the next man up. It feels like there's talent here. It feels like there's ability here. Uh, Van Deest can play the game. It feels like, but. Somebody's going to have to show that they what they didn't show actually after Landman went down is the ability to step up and make the next play. Yeah. There is no greater hole than the one that was left when Nate Landman went down. What, was it the last six quarters we got outscored like 83 to 30? Something like that coming the second half of the Utah game and the bowl game. And that you know has to be a concern because there's no guarantees that Landman's going to come back. I mean, if, if anybody would, anybody could from that injury, 
you know, nobody's going to outwork Nate Landman trying to get back on the field to play. But the CU coaching staff has to say, okay, let's look at those last six quarters. Like you say, without him in there, who's next? Who's the next man up? And it certainly didn't uh, seem to pan out very well. Now, I don't think we're going to get Jack Lamb until the summer. He's still got to graduate from Notre Dame. But the Oklahoma transfer, you know, Robert Barnes is going to be available. He is on campus. And it would be nice to get some reports out of spring practices. And, again, we're generally, you know, going to be closed to the public. You're going to get the eight-minute sound bites, uh, interviews after the fact from Carl Durrell. So you're not going to get to learn a whole lot about what's going on inside the practice facility, but you're certainly going to hope that you're going to hear some great words about the underclassmen and the maybe Jonathan Van Dees, like you say, is going to step up or Quinn Perry is going to do it or Gustav. There's lots of names there. You say, wow, okay, yeah, we could make this work, but will it? And how important was Nate Landman? I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just overstating it, but I mean, Nate Landman was doing great things in 2019. It wasn't just a four and a half game, you know, wow, this guy came from out of nowhere and started dominating. He was the, the heart and the soul of the defense long before 2020. And if nothing else, CU has a lot of film, six quarters worth of film saying, okay, guys, this is what happens when we don't have Nate Landman in the lineup. So who wants to be a hero here? Because if the defensive line, like you say, does its job, not necessarily making the tackles, but holding up the linemen so the linebackers are free to make plays, who other than Carson Wells is going to be become a star for the Colorado defense? And maybe it's just my little pessimism that I get it during the offseason because maybe I'm reading too many preseason magazines because it's real super easy for them to just dismiss Colorado. I just small little rant here about you know, those preseason magazines and stuff like that. that it, they just don't give Colorado any credit. If, you know, it was a school that didn't do very well, then it's like, well, it's just COVID season. You know, they'll bounce back. But if it's school like Colorado that did well, it's just like, well, we just dismiss that. We'll look at the 2019 stats and move on. But there was a, some positives in there for the Colorado defense, seventh in the nation in team tackles for loss, which again, a lot of it had to do with Nate Landman, but you've got the linebackers making those plays. Third down conversion defense, 13th in the nation. Two and a half sacks a game, first downs allowed, 27th in the nation. So, I mean, there's some pretty good numbers there for the, the Colorado defense. And hopefully these these guys are going to step up and and make some plays for us and hopefully make a name for themselves this spring. That's what I'm looking for from Carl Durrell's eight minute sound bites is and there's three scrimmages before the spring game or I'm sorry the spring showcase which did you notice is going to be at 9 a.m. on a Friday. So. Yeah. So get your tickets. Yeah, that's not planning on having a you know huge crowd. Not that they would have a huge crowd anyway, but they're certainly not trying to play to 
the public by having a 9 a.m. on a Friday spring showcase, other than what we get to see on the Pac-12 networks for an hour and a half or whatever it is that they're going to cover us. We got three scrimmages, and hopefully we'll get some positive stories about the the linebacker core. Well, I mean, the defense, the defensive coaches are going to walk in and say, listen, Carson Wells has got a position. There are six other positions open on the line and at the linebackers. And we're going to play the best six guys in whatever combination we can put together to make this work. And so far, what little we've seen from this coaching staff says that they can evaluate the talent and can sometimes be flexible enough to make it work with the talent. Yeah. Um, now we know that six starters is not how it goes nowadays. There's going to be a rotation. There's going to be guys coming in and out. Everybody is situational nowadays with, a, I mean, Nate Lamon's a throwback. Yeah. And so maybe what we're going to do is say, here are six positions we're going to throw people into and you play where the heck you can play yeah. in whatever situation. But there's going to be have to be figuring out this spring. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's turn from the quasi-pessimistic to the uh, fairly optimistic, at least in the secondary. We'll talk about the safeties, but first let's talk about the cornerbacks. I actually have to be pretty excited about the cornerbacks that CU has. Mackay Blackman is a junior slash would be a senior and Christian Gonzalez, the other starter at corner, is coming back again as a true freshman after having six games thrown to the wolves and done fairly well for acquitting himself, now gets to play again as a true freshman. And there's, of course, you're only gonna, not only going to play two cornerbacks, you've got a lot of five, you've got nickel sets, dime sets, you're going to have a lot of cornerbacks on the field. Tariq Luckett, He's coming back. He didn't play all last year. He was injured, but he'll be back as a sophomore. Nigel Bethel got on the field last year. He's a sophomore. Jalen Stryker. DJ Oates is a redshirt freshman. Again, Christian Gonzalez gets to repeat his true freshman year along with Chris Carpenter. Tyron Taylor is a class of 21 signee who is in camp. He He did enroll early, so he will be part of spring practices. Nico Reed and Kaylin Moore are the freshmen from the class of 2021 who will be in CU, who will be in Boulder this summer. As pessimistic as I was about the other units, I'm pretty optimistic about the cornerbacks. Am I wrong? Oh, no. There there feels like talent here. There feels like people who can step up. It feels like people who are not afraid to face good wide receivers and challenge them. So, you know, if the, there are many skills necessary to be a quarterback, one of them is a short memory. And these guys seem to have some faith that no matter what happened on the last play, the next play, I'm going to make it work. And yeah, Gonzalez and the young guys learned last year and they learned some hard lessons, but this feels like a group that's strong and getting stronger. Yeah. And I don't know. I just think that Kristen Gonzalez, again, without a spring practice, without a normal fall camp, still thrown in as a true, true freshman, 
and one of the positions that is really on an island, not a, a stretch to say that, that people, the other teams, other offenses picked on him, tried to attack that as a weakness, and he he did very well. And if now he's got a full set of spring practices with his coaching staff, and he's got a full fall camp, I'm really excited that he's going to be one of our three or four years from now, you know, one of our defensive backs in the NFL, um, and Blackman maybe as well. So for me, the spring is going to be about Luckett and Bethel, Stryker, Who's the next guy? You know, if somebody gets injured, knock on whatever you want to knock on. You know, if we lose one of our two starters or we have to have a lot of games where we're playing pass-happy offenses, you're going to have three corners, four corners on the field at the same time. Who's the other guy? I'd like to, again, get some positive reports about somebody stepping up and saying, wow, these guys are really challenging to be starters, which to me would be – they're really challenging to actually get on the field to play as a third cornerback when they're needed. Well, I mean, Nickelback is a starter in much of college football now. I mean, how many times are we going to play fullbacks against USC? That's just not going to happen. We're going to have nickel on there most of the time. We're going to have dime on there most of the time. So where you say it's who is the next guy up, it's probably who are the next two guys up. Yeah. Who can step in and cover a slot wide a slot receiver? Who can, you know, when they go four wide, who can step out and make sure they've got that covered? So, yeah, this is another sorting process, but it feels like we're sorting from a higher level at this point. Yeah. And guys who I think want to play, it does feel like everybody who steps in wants to do it. And, again, in the defensive backfield, particularly quarterback, one, two matters a great deal. Yeah, because you can help your defense a lot if you can put your cornerbacks in single coverage. That frees up your nickelback, that frees up your safeties to go in and make plays. If you're having to double team two wide receivers and you've got four guys covering two and it's a mismatch for the offense, then you get the tight ends involved and you know, lots of other things start to happen that aren't good for the defense. Now, the safety position, not quite as optimistic, although technically there, there are like three three starters. You can, you can argue that four starters are there out of the six scholarship safeties. you got Isaiah Lewis, Chris Miller, who are juniors again, sophomore Mark Perry. Then you've got Torin Pittman, who's a true freshman. Trustin Oliver is the junior college transfer. He was the guy from the class of 2019 who somehow was still a freshman in 2021 that he went to the junior college. He was supposed to be a member of the CU class of 2019, went the junior college route, redshirted, then didn't get a play because junior colleges weren't playing last fall. So he's still coming in as a freshman, even though he's, you know, well, he hasn't played since 2019. Actually, he hasn't played since 2018. But presumably, hopefully, he's a much larger and smarter and well-schooled and, you know, is ready to play some football. And the other 2021 signee is Trevor Woods. So at least if you look at, you know, the way CU looks at it, if you start the majority of games, you got Isaiah Lewis, Chris Miller, and Mark Perry are all basically considered returning starters. 
I know maybe it was Athlon. One of the, I think it was Athlon when their pre pre season stuff said that C only had six returning starters on defense, which I count ten. But again, maybe I pay a little bit more attention to Colorado football than you know their writers do. Are you content with Lewis Miller and Perry, or cause for concern? Well, I mean, uh, yes, I'm content. Uh, if Miller can stay on the field, I'm probably slightly more than content. When he plays, he plays well. I think Lewis has every ability to play the free safety and play it uh, at a high level. It would be nice if our safeties didn't have to make perhaps quite as many tackles as Rake Straw had to make last year. And, you know, we haven't talked about the fact that he is somebody that we're going to miss out of this bunch. Yeah. But, no, I think there are people there that can play the game. Given how some pass happy, how pass happy some of the teams in this conference are, I think the difference between safety and quarterback and cornerback becomes, especially on passing down, somewhat more academic. It's who can cover and who can do it. I think there will be times that people that we identify there will be more cornerbacks on the field than we generally expect. But I think those three guys in particular can play at this level. And if Oliver can step in and show some of the talent that we thought he had coming out of high school, this looks like a solid bunch. Yeah. So overall for the defense, are we excited, optimistic, cautiously optimistic, slightly pessimistic, or good God, what are we looking in for for 2021? I am cautiously optimistic in part because of the numbers in part because it does feel like a more talented group, no matter what you think. Certainly having a full spring practice, having a full spring practice with this coaching staff yes, um, will tell us so much more. This is at currently an incomplete. We would hope that by May we will have a much better idea about how it looks and that by the 1st of September we will know a great deal more. This looks like if we can figure out the kernels from the kernels of grain from the chaff, like there's probably almost likely to be a pretty solid bunch, perhaps. And if Landman can come back and if a couple of the transfers can step up, it could be more than that. Yeah. I I would share that. Just looking at the lineup, especially like you say with the with the transfers coming in, it seems like CU has been very selective in the transfer portal, but been very successful in the transfer portal in identifying needs and filling those needs. So, yeah, defensive line, linebacker, defensive back, all three places where you've got new players coming in. It will be interesting to see how you mentioned May, at the end of the spring practices, what the transfer portal will look like. You can't, there aren't too many players that are so buried in the depth chart that you think they'd want to transfer just to get playing time elsewhere. There's plenty of opportunities on this lineup for players to step up if they want to make a name for themselves. So there's also room, I would think, especially at safety. You can always take more defensive linemen if you can find them to get more transfers to come in. But 
Yeah, it's not. It wasn't a bad defense until Nate Landman went down. It was a very, if not excellent, it was at least a very good defense. You've got several all Pac-12 players, including Isaiah Lewis and Carson Wells, in addition to first-teamer Nate Landman. So, yeah, there's a reason for optimism unless you read the preseason magazines and say that CU is going to be fifth in the Pac-12 South and, you know, can't win more than four games. So I am hopeful that it wasn't a fluke what we got out of the coaching staff without having spring practices and an abbreviated fall camp, that they are teachers. Carl Durrell talks about getting teachers as coaches, and he brought in teachers. And you mentioned that the last podcast about the new strength and conditioning coach, Shannon Turley, getting five months with this crew. There's enough returning talent. At least we're not starting over. You're not putting in a 265-pound freshman and hoping that their talent will win out against 320-pound offensive tackles. So it's there. We'll see what what comes of it. Uh, Before I let you go, just briefly on the special teams, we do have the returning punter, Josh Watts, and Evan Price is also returning. He's not scholarship, but he is our place kicker. Tyler Francis, Mac Willis, they're also their walk-ons as well, doing some of the uh, you know kickoffs and things like that. But CU actually signed a kicker, Cole Becker, um, which depending on which service you're talking to, is either the number one kicker in the country or CU lost to Notre Dame, the number one kicker in the country. But certainly I find it interesting that our returning place kicker, who did, I think, a serviceable, if not good job, Evan Price, over the last year and a half, is still a walk-on while we're bringing in a scholarship true freshman. So that might make for some interesting conversations in the in the kicker's room, other than whatever it is they talk about in the kicker's room, because apparently they would have lots of time to talk. Josh Watts was not going to mistake anybody for Barry Helton or Keith English or many of the other good punters that we've had in the past, but at least serviceable last year. And he'll be back for his junior year. Any thoughts on the the kickers? Fair to Midland? Not a liability? Oh, I'd say that the kicker is probably more than not a liability. You know, I thought Price was probably above average and, Becker, everybody thinks can do this job at the level. And so I think we have every reason for optimism there. Hunter is serviceable. We're going to get by, hopefully. And Josh Watts' average, I think, was harmed by the fact that he is subject to the occasional shank. And if we can get more consistency out of him, it would be nice. We do probably need to get better in the return game. Uh, I wouldn't say that punt returns was one of our strengths last year. Perhaps, as we talked in the offensive show, about some of the great wide receivers that we have, I'm hopeful that somebody there can step up and uh, and prove more valuable to the team in that area as well. Yeah, it does seem that Sue's been in search of a return game, 
despite having a wide receiver core and defensive backs that are probably the best, if you look at the last 10 years, defensive back and wide receiver are probably the strongest units of the team. And you think that's where you would get your strong return game. But yeah, other than occasional flashes, the return game has been average, almost an afterthought, it seems. And again, and Carl Durrell talked about this too, when you've got a new coaching staff and you've got players that haven't had this system and you can only do so much with so many practices and special teams are one of those things that might not get as much attention as they would if you had a full spring and if you had a summer for them to look at film and talk about these things and develop things during fall camp. So again, our cautious optimism would be that this coaching staff did a good job in 2020 with these players. Maybe they can do a great job with a full year with them. So, well, I, I think the coaching staff would say, you know, last year was triage. This year is teaching. And hopefully, um, and in special teams, teaching matters. It is, it is truly a technique driven positions. And, uh, hopefully we can find somebody who has the time to learn the techniques. Yeah. And one observer always told me that, you know, if you can look at the, like the kickoff coverage team, if they go down and it's like a V with the outside guys well ahead of the inside guys, then you're not doing a lot on special teams. If you've got the special teams running down at the kickoff and it's pretty much a straight line, then you've got a quality special teams. So that's something that, you know, a lot of it's want to. And if you've got some of these players, backups at wide receiver, backup at defensive back that want to get on the field to play, special teams is always a place to try and get that done. And when CU is right there on the margin in some of these games, special teams makes the difference. And so we didn't give it a whole lot of time, but that's not because – well, there's just not a whole lot to talk about in terms of one kicker, one punter, and special teams. Were, even in the best seasons, the kick returners weren't named until like the week before the first game. They would just say, well, spring is spring, and we'll worry about that in fall camp. So probably not going to get any definitive answers about special teams during spring fall. But again, always hoping that we're going to get wonderful reviews from the coaching staff. So any parting words for the, the general population? We're going to be doing a mid-spring podcast, maybe throwing a mailbag there. Any words of wisdom before I, I let you get back to being the king of Highlands Ranch? <laughs> um, this is probably the most interesting spring that we have had in the last five perhaps 10 years. We have a staff that we think is good, who has their first full shot. This could be really fun to watch. Yeah. I, I'm about as optimistic as I was right before Mel Tucker left. You know, I was real excited last spring, right up until the time that our coach skipped town on us. So that's saying a lot because we were pretty excited about what was going to happen in 2020 based upon what we got out of 2019. So Getting up to that level is a good thing. So 
Spring coverage will be minimal in terms of detail, but there will be spring coverage at the CU at the AIM website. And thank you, Brad, and we will talk again soon. Most definitely. Have a great one up in Bozeman, and I hope spring comes soon. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you haven't already, please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you download your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you are so inclined, we also appreciate your comments, together with your five-star ratings. We will be looking to bring you two spring football podcasts, one during the middle of spring practices and another after the spring showcase on April 30th. We will also be bringing back the See What the Game mailbag for our next episode. So if you have any questions you would like for Brad and I to take on or have suggestions for improving the podcast, please drop me a note at cuatthegame at gmail.com. Before I let you go, just a moment to extend our sympathies to the victims and the families of those involved in the recent shooting in Boulder. My third year of law school, I lived in an apartment on Table Mesa, just a few blocks from King Supers. I can't even begin to count the hundreds of times I've been in that store. Never once was I afraid for my safety or for the safety of those around me. All that has now changed. Talking about football sounds insignificant by comparison, but time and the calendar march on. Thank you for being a part of the See You at the Game family. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.